You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. What up? Another week, another commute. Welcome into Commute, the podcast, the show where we aim to entertain and inform you over the course of your average commute. I'm Dave. And I'm Jay. And we thank you so much for finding us wherever you listen to your podcast. If you haven't already, we'd love to invite you on the front end to rate, subscribe, and review to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. On this episode of Commute, could those green pieces of paper in your wallet or your purse be killing you? How dirty is our money? They say the first commandment is to go forth and multiply. We'll discuss a man who took that a little bit too literally. On July 1st, every year, we celebrate the worst contract in professional sports history. That's right. We're talking Bobby Bonilla Day. All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get it. All right, Jay. Well, uh, when I was in eighth grade, I did a science experiment on how dirty the human mouth is versus how dirty a dog's mouth is. Any guesses on the result? I think my first guess would be a human, but I'm, I can't get off the thought that I want to know how far the science project went. Like, I want to know if you made it to states, if you lost at states. I'm more concerned about, like, kind of your success rate with the project itself. Honorable mention at the school level. Okay. So, so, ba- so basically, so you participate. You got a participation <laughs> ribbon. Jay, the dog's mouth was cleaner than the human's. Now, I feel like I've read some reports since then that that's not accurate, but I'm telling you, I followed all the steps, and there were more bacteria that had appeared in the Petri dish in the human's mouth sample than the dog's. You better stop talking. They're going to come strip that uh, that ribbon away from you. (laughs) They can pry it from my cold, dead hands. (laughs) But when it comes to how dirty something actually is versus how dirty we assume it is, is there anything more intriguing than money. We're talking the green paper bills that we use to buy things. I mean, I I don't know about you, Jay, but I've heard so many things about how dirty paper money is. Everything from it's dirtier than a toilet to the theory that every single bill has at one time or another gone through the hands of drug dealers. I remember uh, the first time that I ever kind of came to the conclusion that money traveled really far was uh, back during the George W. Bush presidency. I don't know if you remember this or if this was just like, we grew up in different hometowns, so I don't know if this was just like a my hometown thing or not. But I remember I started seeing dollar bills that had a stamp on it that said www.wheresgeorge.com or something like that. It, like, and they just started popping up everywhere, like $20 bills and $10 bills. So you could track the $1 bill? I, I think people were just trying to make some sort of like political statement. They felt like if they stamped their money, they would kind of get the most eyes on it. See, I think maybe you made the wrong connection there. I think it meant where's George is in the George Washington $1 bill, not where's George W. Bush. I could be wrong, <laughs> but I'm thinking maybe you read into that in the wrong way. You know, you, you said that, and I'm like, yeah, you're probably as right. I, as I say it, you're like, he's right. Well, as we dive into this, okay, we're going to explore how dirty money actually is. One thing is going to quickly become apparent to you. There is a growing amount of research that seems to suggest that money is filthy. A 2017 academic journal published study swabbed many $1 bills from New York City 
to see what they could find living on the cold, hard cash. The results? Gross. They found hundreds of species of microorganisms, including the ones that cause acne, DNA from multiple people's mouths, which seems to suggest that people are chewing on their money, and piles of DNA from pets and viruses. And the drug dealer rumor I mentioned before? Well, seems to be true. A separate study that used bills from across the United States found traces of cocaine on nearly 80% of the bills tested. <laughs> That's so much that's it's so much so, higher so much cocaine. than I thought it would be. <laughs> I just didn't expect it to be that high. But, Jay, while this really does sound gross and will probably keep both of us up at night for the foreseeable future, it's not that surprising when you think about it, right? I mean, money, as you said earlier, does get passed around a lot and for a long time. The average paper bill stays in circulation for anywhere from 5 to 15 years. And while the bills are covered in filth, that doesn't necessarily mean that they'll make you sick when you touch them. For starters, excluding the subset of people that I mentioned earlier that lick their money, our skin is pretty tough, right? So money moving from my hand to yours isn't doing a whole lot to transmit any kind of possible disease to you. Also, cash is very soft. It's 75% cotton and 25% linen, which means that the germs don't jump from dollar to hand as much as you'd fear that they might. How about coins? Well, not much to worry about there either. Metal components like nickel, copper, and zinc aren't very good hosts for germs, so they test pretty low on the worry list. As I'm saying all this, Jay, do you feel yourself shifting even more to credit cards? Yeah, I'm thinking about a story. I know uh, first jobs or high school jobs will come up a lot throughout this podcast. I know you have, uh, we'll talk about Blockbuster at some point uh, for your history, but uh, my first job was at Burger King, and I have this very distinct memory of this guy walking in one time. I was working the cash register, and uh, he ordered, and then he handed me his money, and it was soaking wet. It was like he had just like dunked it in a bathtub or something, and he and I kind of looked up at him, like kind of confused, and he looked back at me dead in the eyes and went, yeah, it's pretty sweaty. I walked to get here. <laughs> Even though that, that would probably rank very high on this list. Here are things that are dirtier than you think to wrap this up. This is according to research done by Good Housekeeping. Here are the eight things that have been found to be dirtier than toilet seats. You ready? It's in descending order. Number eight, purses. Number seven, pet food bowls. Number six, reusable grocery bags. Number five, kitchen sponges. Number four, cutting boards. Number three, bathroom doorknobs. Number two, computer keyboards. And number one, the dirtiest thing in your house, your cell phone. So Dave, infertility is something that affects a lot of people, a topic that a lot of people are familiar with. And uh, a lot of us have had bouts with it, including you and me both. Yeah, I'm kind of an open book, and this is one of my favorite stories. So when I was getting tested because of potential infertility, um, if it's never happened to you, and hopefully it never does, I had to go to the hospital to submit a sample. And when you go into this weird little room to submit the sample, um, there are a couple magazines on the shelf. Now, one of the magazines is what you would expect would be in a sample room. Okay, we'll just leave it at that. The other magazine... Where's Waldo? (laughs) A a magazine of cars. No people, just cars. So so not a single person in the entire magazine. Uh, Yeah, and I took it with me afterwards, obviously. (laughs) Just for the memories. 
One thing that is true across the board about infertility is that it can be very time-consuming and it's a very expensive problem to solve. Uh, artificial insemination clinics or IVF treatment can often take years of tests and waiting lists and bills before finally paying off in the ultimate goal of creating a child. And for many who want to have a family but feel as though they can't get over the financial hurdle of using these methods to help get pregnant... There can sort of be a purgatory that develops where this desire just can't be filled. And this scene helps us understand the sudden fame of a man named Ari Nagel, a mathematics professor from New York who earned the nickname The Sperminator after gaining overnight fame for publicly (laughs) offering his semen free of charge to any woman on the planet who wants to have a child but for whatever reason cannot under their current circumstances. And What? Many, uh, (laughs) I haven't even gotten to the good part yet. Uh, Many women have surprisingly taken Taking Nagel up on the offer, bringing his current total of father children around the world. Are you ready for this, Dave? So, so wait, 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 wait. So, so he he just offers to help father children. He, yes. So, I'll tell you kind of uh, how, and it's not a birds and the bees talk, but I'll tell you how here in a second. But okay. he, yeah, he and he gained fame from it. So it was kind of an early thing, and he had like you know twenty kids or whatever, and then he started getting these news segments, and people started calling from all over the world. You asked how many? Uh, Hundred. Close. He currently has seventy-eight children around the world, with thirteen <laughs> more currently on the way as of the taping of this <laughs> podcast. And uh, Nagel has left up to the child's mother in each case whether or not he's involved in the child's life and to what extent. So for many of the children, he attends their birthday parties or he babysits them or sends them gifts or sort of plays the role of like a fun uncle. Uh, Nagel at the beginning did impregnate some of his clients the old-fashioned way if they requested it, but due to the high volume of requests now, he just provides a sample to women for free at a clinic or a meet-up spot, and his client takes it from there. Nagel is somewhat of a controversial figure, as you might imagine, and he's actually even been sued successfully five times for child support payments which raises all sorts of interesting legal questions. Uh, And the 44-year-old man also raised some eyebrows when he donated to an 18-year-old woman living in a homeless shelter in 2018. Two reasons why I think this is interesting. All right, One is that his mindset is much different about this than you or I's, Dave. You know, you and I are both fathers, and we've had this conversation before. We both would have a hard time with the idea that a child was out there and the child was yours, but you didn't see the child. And I feel like if that were the case for me, it would be something I thought about like literally all day. But Nagel's mindset is different. Like he describes this as a way to spread joy and as a way to empower women who want to have families and that's one way to put to, it to help them break down these many barriers that exist in the way of artificial insemination. And when he's asked questions in interviews like, "Hey, you have like a hundred kids, isn't that a lot? Like, doesn't that weird you out at all?" He says things like, well, it's 100 for me, but for the woman, it's just one, and it's their kid, and they've waited so long to have, so focus more on that and less on me. I'm just putting the power to have a child in the hands of people who want it. I've said this a lot in a lot of different situations. People need to get better hobbies. The second thing I find interesting about this is why he exists. Uh, To me, this situation exists because of the extraordinarily high cost of having a child artificially, especially in the United States. Uh, Going to a clinic can to be artificially inseminated by a partner or a sperm donor can be many thousands of dollars in years of wait lists and attempts. Uh, IVF costs an average of $10,000 in the United States for one round. 
In fact, Dave, the artificial insemination industry is currently worth a whopping $48.6 billion yearly. Many women are also in same-sex relationships and may face barriers in adoption or fostering in the state where they live. And so the point being that unless you have someone lined up to have a child the old-fashioned way, you might find yourself blocked from having one at all. I just looked him up, and I thought maybe he'd be like a superhuman, like they're trying to breed super athletes. Nah, just normal. So, Jay, I'm a big holiday guy. I love Christmas, love the lead-up to almost any holiday. How about you? I always feel like holidays kind of catch me by surprise. Uh, We've talked about this before. You're very forward-thinking, and I'm not as much. So It still blows my mind that you say you never think about what's to come. We'll have, to, we'll have to dive into that. Yeah, at some point. maybe we can talk about that on another episode. Well, regardless of how messed up your brain is, what's <laughs> wild is the sheer number of random holidays that exist. So for every Christmas, Valentine's Day, Memorial Day, there's National Hugging Day, which is January 21st. There's National No Housework Day, which I'm in favor of, April 7th. And a true fan favorite, Migratory Bird Day on May 13th. Love it. But Jay, one of my personal favorite holidays happens every summer and represents one of the most bizarre and worst contract situations in all of professional sports. Every year on July 1st, until the year 2035, we celebrate Bobby Bonilla Day. So in case you aren't a sports fan, let me quickly tell you about Bobby Bonilla. Bobby Bonilla played Major League Baseball for 16 years, from 1986 to 2001, and he suited up for eight different clubs. Statistically speaking, Bonilla was an excellent baseball player. He won a World Series in 1997 with the Marlins, was selected to six All-Star games, and hit nearly 300 career home runs. But any interest in Bobby Bonilla, the player, pales in comparison these days to Bobby Bonilla, the contract. While professional sports contracts are astronomical today for star players, ranging in the 15 to $25 million per year range, in the early 90s they were much lower, and Bonilla had one of the best. From 1992 to 1994, he was the highest paid player in all of Major League Baseball, earning more than $6 million per year. The real fun begins, though, in the birth of this national holiday in the year 2000. In the year 2000, that year, the New York Mets agreed to buy out Bonilla's contract and release him, which teams often do to free up roster spots and available budget dollars, for $5.9 million. But instead of paying all of that cash up front, the New York Mets made the head-scratching decision to give Bonilla $1.19 million per year for 25 years, with the payments deferred starting in 2011 and with a guaranteed 8% interest rate for the life of the contract. But Jay, you may be thinking, okay, well, 25 years at 1.19 million, that's a lot more than 5.9 million. Yeah, I was just about to ask that. Well, Jay, Mets ownership didn't really care about this extra money at the time when they decided to defer Bonilla. Why? Well, because they had just been told that they were going to receive a higher-than-anticipated return on some non-Mets-related investments that they had just made. Those investments had been made with a very upstanding individual by the name of Bernie Madoff. And yes, just in case you thought that maybe there were two people with that name, that Bernie Madoff, the man convicted of running the largest Ponzi scheme in American history. 
Madoff actually died in prison earlier this year at the ripe age of 82 while he was serving a 150-year prison sentence. So taking the deferred payments, as Bonilla did, and bad investments into consideration, the Mets currently pay Bobby Bonilla $1.2 million every July 1st until 2035. When the deal is over, as we said earlier, Bonilla will have made nearly $30 million. That's $25 million more than if the Mets had just paid out the entire contract in 2000 when they decided to buy out Bonilla. And in case you're wondering how often the Mets think about Bobby Bonilla, well, the answer is quite often. He is currently the 16th highest paid Met on the 2021 payroll, making nearly double that of current Mets all-star first baseman Pete Alonzo. Well, let's just stop a second and give some kudos to Bobby Bonilla's agent who was forward-thinking enough to set him up with this just absolutely incredible life that he now lives. And that's it. Thanks for listening to another week of Commute the Podcast. Hopefully you learned something this week. I know I learned something every week with what Jay brings to the table. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review Commute on your favorite podcast platform. Music for Commute is provided by my man Jason Sammons. For Jay Sisson, I'm Dave Traub. We'll see you next week.